Wired into technology transformation, this is the Digital Bulletin Podcast. How's it going, listener? Thank you for jumping aboard for our first podcast of this year, and indeed, this decade. Some things never change, however, and there's a familiar feel to our panel as we welcome Digital Bulletin Content Director James Henderson. Hello. And Chief Executive Officer Romilly Broad. Hello. Chaps, how has 2020 treated you so far? It's the middle of January already. Yeah, it feels like we're already halfway through the year. It just doesn't stop, actually, does it? Because you you go away and you put your feet up for what feels like five minutes and then it's it's CES. And so it's just insane. It just doesn't stop, which is good. We like that, don't we? There's always that thing, isn't there, when you have a a break where in the back of your mind you know that when you come back it's going to be mad. Yeah, mad in a good way so far. Fingers crossed it carries on. Yeah, I mean, the nature of what we do with the publishing element as well, it means that we would usually have a sort of 30-day publishing cycle and it's nearer 20, which is exactly what we did in December as well. So, it, yeah, the, the fun never stops. Now, coming up on today's episode, we discuss industry's demand for data literacy and the role technology plays for creative agency Spark 44. But first, some news. So exactly how has the world of business technology welcomed in the new year? We've already had the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, which is where Samsung birthed a fully artificial human. In reality, this was the company's AI-based avatar creation software, which has been in the works for a while. Pranav Mystery, CEO of Samsung Star Labs, spoke with the humanoid on stage at CES, but the reception wasn't all positive, with some criticising the somewhat stunted interaction. While we're on the topic of AI, the Trump administration has wasted little time in laying down new boundaries around the use of artificial intelligence. An executive order has given federal agencies 180 days to build a regulatory framework around AI, while the government is also stamping down on AI exports. More recently, another acquisition grabbed people's attention with Visa paying over $5 billion for fintech startup Played, while research from Goldman Sachs suggests Azure might just be edging AWS in the cloud wars, if not in revenue, then certainly in service delivery. Now you can find a comprehensive roundup of the reporting on these stories and many, many more via the bulletin on digitalbullet.in. But next, we're going to explore one headline news item in more detail, and it's all about self-driving vehicles. Qualcomm is well known as a leader in mobile and telecoms technology, but despite having a proven track record in the automotive industry, it has kept its work on autonomous cars tightly under wraps up to now. At the beginning of January, it's unveiled Snapdragon Ride, a version of its Snapdragon chip purpose-built to power all levels of automated driving. The chip is part of a Snapdragon Ride platform that Qualcomm says is one of the most advanced, scalable, and open autonomous driving solutions currently available on the market. So guys, first question on this one is, is this breakthrough from Qualcomm just another small step for self-driving car evangelists or indeed a giant leap for mankind? What do we think? I think it's um, it's a giant leap uh, amongst many giant leaps, and that's the thing. It's like actually, if you've got loads of giant leaps, does that just make them all small steps? I don't know. But they, they Qualcomm is right at the forefront of all of this. Obviously, they are uh, publicly uh, positioning themselves as um, the leader in 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 what is emerging as a a, a fairly 
um, hefty scrap between them and other semiconductor type businesses um, to snag a piece of what is the fastest growing part of their industry and that's you know the the automotive sector they are clearly saying look we, we, we we've got the best solution we don't just have the hardware we've got the software as well we've got all sorts of stuff it's scalable we'll be in this uh, uh, for, for the for the long term and if you're an automaker therefore, we're definitely the people you should talk to because you work on long product development life cycles and we'll be there with you throughout the whole thing. They're, they're putting their stake in the ground fairly aggressively right now, um, but they're not the only ones. Yeah, I mean, as, as you mentioned there, scale has been a, a big play from um, Qualcomm here. Snapdragon Ride supports level one basic driver assistance systems right through to level five full autonomy, James. Do you think it's likely that this kind of reflects how autonomous technology is going to be rolled out over the coming years and decades? Yeah, almost certainly. I think we'll see a, a sort of incremental um, release of, of, of these products, which will go right from level one through to level five. But I, I think we are talking that level five and, and and full autonomous driving i mean i know that a lot of the companies in this have sort of pitched ideas of 2021 2022 i think you can add another 10 years onto that quite comfortably i think that there's a there's a couple of reasons for that it's one is public perception the you know the idea that you can just go from the existing system um to fully autonomous driving it's just not going to happen the 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 public have to be able to get used to it and that's why we will see these sort of iterative improvements from level one to level five in the same way that actually if you look at um how electric vehicles have evolved you go back you know the prius is far more than a decade old and it started off with that sort of hybrid car full to sort of full you know electric cars which are you know still coming through now let's let's face it the combustion engine is still by far the the most popular uh, car of choice, if you like. Um, so I think we'll 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 see a sort of similar um, evolution uh, when it when it comes to autonomous vehicles as as we have done with electric. Yeah, Rob, you got anything to add on that particular point? Obviously, we know at the moment the idea of a fully autonomous car probably to a lot of drivers seems in inconceivable in a way. But do you think once the point comes where these things are actually ready to be fully autonomous, people will be more used to having some degree of autonomy, like in their cars? it's an iterative process as James yeah yeah it's it's an evolution I think what we will see is so we've got right now we've got people like Qualcomm and uh, and others it's not just about processes obviously it's about connectivity latency edge computing da 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 um, Ericsson and uh, folks like that are going to be key to that because they're providing the you know the, the radios to, to connect all this stuff together um, where we will see the biggest impact is not is in an autonomous driving sense or autonomous vehicle sense isn't really going to be on our roads. I mean, that's going to evolve in an itty bitty fashion, depending on where you live in the world and how uh, advanced your infrastructure is. Um, that's going to take 20 years probably before that becomes kind of standard. What we will see though is um, uh, on the consumer side, probably uh, taxi type firms, the Ubers of the world, um, being a bit more aggressive around this. Um, but generally speaking, it's industrial applications that where this is going to really make a big impact. And that's, um, you know, you can imagine mines and big industrial complexes where you can have much more control and there's much more predictability around the flow of traffic um, for whatever kind of vehicle you're talking about. That's much more applicable and there's a much more clearly direct uh, return on investment for uh, for those industries to to apply that sooner rather than later. It will kind of broaden out to become a much more consumer thing. 
on the back of that kind of investment. And there's there's nothing unusual about that. You can look, you can go back hundreds of years and find um, similar industries evolving in the same way, where technology is implemented first um, to to make um, the operation of a business somewhere more efficient, whether it's a a coal mine or a power station or whatever. Um, only after that do you start to see the consumer side industries, uh, the consumer side uh, infrastructure. Sorry, I should say, uh, begin to evolve. It's going to be an, an interesting journey, uh, but the industrial applications are where it, it's going to really make a difference to start. Yeah. Obviously, this is a, the, the semiconductor companies pivoting towards this industry where they see a lot of potential. James, we know there are other players here, NVIDIA, Intel. Do you yep. see this race intensifying even more? So, yeah, definitely. I mean, these are, these are companies with a lot of skin in the game. I think Rom said a little bit earlier that it's, it's one of the fastest um, growing areas of industry and certainly in, in terms of mobility, it will probably be the biggest step change that we've ever seen. Um, we know that, yeah, NVIDIA is going really hard. At it. It's already got a, a tie up with uh, Toyota um, and it's making it sort of pre-trained drive models available for R&D purposes in an open source fashion. It's also working with DD, which is China's largest ride hailing uh, platform so obviously that's an absolutely enormous market there you've also got Mobileye which Intel acquired I think around about three years ago um, and that just this just this week at the Consumer Electronics Show it sort of outlined its ambitions uh, to dominate the market over the next five years and it has existing relationships with the likes of BMW, Cadillac uh, and VW um, which is already using its chips for sort of driver facing cameras and, and, and that sort of thing um, so yeah, as I said, all we've got some really, really big companies with significant stakes um, within autonomous driving. Significant uh, amounts of investment have already gone in, but I think that it's it's such a large market that actually there's there's probably room for all of those companies. And and what will we will hope as sort of interested observers is they sort of drive each each other forwards uh, in terms of innovation and, and technology integration so yeah really exciting market to, to be involved in and, and be and be observing yeah we'll um, touch more on the, on the impact it has on the car manufacturers in a sec but also rom interestingly qualcomm recently helped set a new record for 5g speed as well and mm. obviously all of this ties in doesn't it so they're really well placed here yeah, yeah definitely so i mean obviously that's it's kind of a pr stunt really um and that actually that paints a picture in of itself qualcomm are doing lots of PR at the beginning of 2020 because they want to um, to be seen as a, as, a, as a leader in this. And I think they what they see, the reason they're doing that is because there's a d distinct early mover advantage in that for them. If they can get their stuff baked into um, uh, the automotive industry, which operates typically on quite long uh, product development life cycles, then they they get to become an incumbent before anyone else. If you see what I mean, the the the, the story that you're referring to is where they've broken the, the two gigabit per second speed barrier um, in terms of data transfer all over a five G network, and they've done that in Italy in partnership with um, Tim T I M. Um, it's a bit of um, I mean it's it's notable and it's an achievement for sure, but it's also um, more PR than anything else because it's fundamentally enabled by the fact that uh, Tim, the, the the telco in Italy, owns an enormous chunk of the spectrum over there, which means that they can use that full range of stuff to, to make it happen. But And typically that's not going to be easy anywhere else where things are more um, uh, carved up in, in you know, across more people. But but still, that's, that's them saying, you know, 
it's not just about the chip it's about how you get things to and from the chip and then you can start to figure out what you can do with that um so you know these these announcements i'm sure will continue not just from qualcomm this year yeah there's a lot of very busy pr people i'm sure around at the moment what we know for sure though is that this is an industry that is being flipped on its on its head isn't it and we this is an example where technology companies are driving transformation rather than the traditional manufacturers who have you know over the history of the automotive industry been the ones who have kept that innovation kind of in-house james what are your thoughts on, on that kind of dynamic between these these huge manufacturers like daimler or volkswagen mm-hmm. who are suddenly having huge technology companies come in and change and forcing them to change the way they work and yeah it must be a, it must be a, you know these are these are organizations which have had their own way with things for many many decades it must be quite a, a daunting and um i don't know if worrisome is the right word but it's certainly a challenging time for these guys i mean we we are seeing tie-ups now with with companies which years ago just would would never they wouldn't have played in the same wheelhouse it just wouldn't have existed right but i think when it when it comes to the sort of every every we we live in a, a world which is more connected than everything you know everything will be connected the internet of things um the internet of, of things means that so these these companies are, are having having to work together um so i think that we we have to recognize that with, with technologies like this no company has the expertise or skills not even companies with apple or amazon who seem to have um, unlimited resource they're, they're not going to have all the expect, expertise to do this in house so I think more and more we are going to see um, some of the sort of old style companies like like car or you know car manufacturers having to team up with uh, whether it's chip manufacturers or, 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 or you know sort of bleeding edge technology companies more and more we're going to see the meeting of those worlds I think and not and not just in the automotive industry either yeah uh, M&A activity is going to be quite interesting mm-hmm. in the early part of the new decade actually where you um, you're going to see consolidation uh, around all of this stuff as it starts to become um, more mainstream and widespread and how that ends up defining what automakers ultimately become um, will be really interesting to, to watch they'll be defined perhaps in a large part by the acquisitions they make yeah fascinating stuff this isn't it uh, but now it's time for us to turn off this particular highway change course and follow the signposts to spark 44 with our case study review after this find us as digital bulletin on linkedin facebook and instagram and at digi underscore bulletin on twitter For this month's case study deep dive, we're going to take a look at our project with Spark 44 published at the end of last year. A creative agency that has achieved a lot in a short space of time, only launched in 2011, Spark 44 delivers creative communications and large-scale marketing campaigns for brands familiar to us all, and technology is one of its main drivers. Before we discuss our experiences from this one, let's hear from Ahmed Hassan, the company's global head of experience, as he reveals the two key areas where digital can make an impact on his industry. Digital in the, in the in the advertising marketing arena is, you know, to, to even talk about it is almost is almost an error and a mistake and I apply in some ways. You know, we're all digital. We you know we, we all surf for everything we're looking for. So so that's that's a given. Um, but the answer kind of has two parts. There's playing with technology, and I mean playing with technologies and testing and learning and and pushing the boundaries from a point of view of delivering better communications. 
Um, so having access to various tools and systems is, is critical to help people really, really stretch and, and, and ride that bleeding edge kind of, um, kind of curve. But on the, the other side, uh, the critical part is really having platforms and systems in place that allows for continuity of brand image, continuity of messaging, um, you know, consistency in, in, in what we're communicating uh, globally. Um, and, and that kind of technology really is quite critical to ensure that it, you know, that what gets created and shared is done so equally effectively and you know, in a conformant way. So James, as Ahmed said there, obviously this is a, this is a creative agency, it's a marketing mm-hmm. company, but obviously technology clearly still underpins both innovation and delivery at Spark 44. Mm-hmm. Did you sense that, um, that technology was a crucial element, element to its success? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's sort of been a key component of its growth. I mean, just to put it in some sort of context, Spark 44 is uh, about eight years old uh, and it's gone from uh, when it was founded to now being a, a company with, uh, I think, a, a, around about a thousand employees something like 19 offices around the world. Uh, so a, a, a properly big organisation now. Um, and when, when we spoke to Ahmed and we also spoke to um, Ali McManus, who I think we'll be hearing from in, in a little bit as well, um, a real key part of, of when they were growing, a real key thing for them was that the... The, the different employees there could still speak to each other really easily. I think Ali said that it was important that you could have a conversation with someone who was 3,000 miles away in the same way that you, you could, you know, sort of lean over the table and chat to your mate, you know. Uh, and to do that, obviously, they, they, they needed technology that, that could, could enable that. But at the same point as well, um, the, the, way it's, the way it's been set up is that you've got teams in various continents working on on the same projects and they have to be able to dip in and out of that content they you know they have to be able to you know look at that where their storyboards are where their edits are almost in real time actually so the technology to enable that has been hugely important in sort of allowing that growth and allowing that sort of joined up collaborative feel over loads of different time zones and continents yeah Rom, do you want to talk a little bit about spark 44 and what they do because their their setup Mm. and their story is quite unique isn't it yeah, so the, I mean, a lot of this is, is um, the reason why technology has been so important to them is is rooted in their origin story, if you like. So Spark 44 was uh, created through a need uh, that Jaguar Land Rover had. And Jaguar Land Rover is not their only client, but it was in, in the beginning. Um, a bunch of pretty high profile people were operating on the inside of Jaguar Land Rover to try and figure out how they could rationalize um, what uh, Jaguar was doing from a marketing point of view. At, at that time, eight years ago, Jaguar wasn't doing very well. Fundamentally, its sales were dropping and they needed to um, inject new life into the whole brand. Um, and kind of unusually, they decided to go in-house. They said, look, we need, we've got multiple different agencies doing multiple different things. Anybody that's listening to this who's part of a large organization will be familiar with what that is like. Um, there are lots of overheads involved in that there's you know when you've got multiple parties working on different things you you end up spending more time just trying to manage that than actually achieving anything jaguar said look let's um let's create a joint venture and that's what is kind of special and different about spark and why we were interested in it that means that it's kind of part owned by ultimately tata which owns uh jaguar and uh part owned by the the people that set up spark 44 as an agency 
they set out to be very single-minded in terms of what they wanted to achieve for Jaguar, Jaguar. And I think, you know, without going into the details, they definitely did that, due not least to the, the effectiveness of their of their marketing. Now, not only is that an interesting structure for, a, for an agency, um, it is it also enabled them to structure themselves differently. And that's where the technology comes in. They said, look, we're going to have uh, a global operation because Jackie was a global thing. Um, hence, we're going to need like, you know, uh, 19 offices and we're going to need a lot of people working, doing things locally. Um, but we're going to have one PL, we're going to have one set of objectives, one, essentially, it's one team. How do we do that globally? That's the challenge. And um, the answer to that was to deploy things like, especially uh, a platform from Sendshare. And Sendshare is a German provider of uh, digital asset management, um, content management systems, etc., which enabled them to operate uh, across a single, I think Ahmed called it a single source of truth, but basically it's a, it's a pot in which everybody is putting their stuff and taking it out. As you'll know, uh, anybody who's done anything around advertising and marketing knows that the development of those resources and assets is a furiously fast-moving and complicated process. You're iterating things constantly. You're working in multiple different languages. You need to localize and do it. You know, it's loads of stuff is changing all the time. And so, stringing that all together amongst a thousand people in nineteen different locations requires some pretty uh, clever technology. And that's and that's you know what Sendshare in particular, not just Sendshare, but that's what they provide. And so, it was really interesting to go in there and um, talk to them about how they were successfully able to pull that off. Yeah, yeah, and they've lifted that obviously to other clients aside from Jaguar Land Rover now, including Tetley's Tea. Are they still doing that? Tetley, yeah. So it's yeah. a massive tea brand. Obviously, Tetley is what we call it in this country. It's called, yeah. it's called other things elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. But good English tea. Yes. Um, yeah. So obviously, technology, as we've discussed, there is 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 a sort of a crucial backbone to the global operation that is Spark Forty Four. But now, I think we've hinted it already. They're also big on company culture, and I think when you have um, when you have a creative workforce, culture is a very important thing. Global HR director Ali McManus revealed to us that employees are expected to be, quote, brave, bold, and honest. Now, this is a credo that runs to the very foundations of Spark 44. And here is McManus discussing the balance between digital aptitude and creating the best environment for its creative workforce to flourish. I think we need to maintain the focus that we have on digital capability because it's an ever-changing landscape and an ever-changing marketplace. But I think it's important that we don't only go externally and recruit those individuals, that we maintain the focus on in internally development that knowledge and capability with our existing staff. Um, but I feel that it's important that we also don't forget the importance and value of the partnership between digital and also the, the human mind and, and human talent. We employ people who want to think differently, who are willing to challenge, who will fight for what is right um, and really want to do the best work for the client and I think the digital capability um, is, is, is intrinsic to our success but so is making sure that we maintain those human skills and that human element that's really really important to us. James, we know culture was an overarching theme to the Spark 44 story. How strongly did that message come through to you when you, when you were there? Uh, yeah, I mean, apart from the fact brave, bold and honest were sort of emblazoned uh, on every sort of spare bit of the office, you know, it was, it was pretty much everywhere. Um, but I do, that, you know, there is always a temptation maybe to sometimes be a bit snarky about stuff like that. But I think what came through was they, 
it is it is sort of baked into the company. It was they were principles which were sort of laid out by the founding fathers of the company eight years ago. This isn't something that's new to them, and it's, it seems to have stood the test of time. It's still there now, right? So. You know, it's, I think what what it was about was I think as Ali said there about sort of making sure that their their employees they feel they're able to be brave they're able to come forward with with ideas and not necessarily you know just because they're high up within the company I think they try and encourage people from whether you know whether the most junior staff or or the, or, or directors to come forward with their ideas and try and be creative um, and tr- and try and be really bold with those creative ideas as well. Um, it's, it, it seemed like the sort of yardstick that, that everyone was sort of judged against within, within the mm. company and that, that went, went, went from Ahmed and Ali right you know as I said right down to the most junior, most junior of employees so yeah it was it, it was it was interesting when, it, when I walked in the sort of sort of plastered everywhere like I said it's, it's easy to be a bit snarky but actually I came out of there and I truly believe that was something that they sort of live by every day it also has a sort of number of rewards programs in place as well, doesn't it, for its employees? Now, do you think we know in technology, especially that um, you know talent retention, ta- talent attraction, is is a very big challenge? Do you think types of initiatives like that help with bringing in the best people? Well, yeah, like you said, whether it's the the, the creative industry and you know, as with technology, there. That, well, the agencies are battling for the best talent, right? Because they want, you know, the best campaigns. They want to retain clients. They want to attract new clients. So, I think anything like that is is going to help. I think that um, companies are aware now that they're having to offer more than just, you know, a good salary and a safe job. The employees now, when people talk about millennials or whether it's Generation X or Z or, or millennials, they they want real job satisfaction they want to be challenged they want to work for companies whose ethics and ethos and um and things like that are actually match up with theirs um so yeah i thought i think that i think companies are having to think more and more outside the box about actually what they can offer their employees as well as just their right well here's your job and here's your salary um and those those were those were certainly part of that yeah it's really interesting isn't it obviously um it's well known how difficult it is for creative organisations like organisations who work in areas like marketing for them to scale and actually spark what we've already grown incredibly quickly in such, in such a short space of time and it's it's good to hear how technology and people have sort of powered that um, that transformation. We must move on, but if you want to learn more about Spark 44 and the work it's doing, the article and videos are available on digitalbullet.in. But next, data literacy. Power up your day with the Bulletin Brief, the latest news, insights and opinion delivered straight to your inbox. Subscribe now at digitalbullet.in. I think we all agree that data literacy is one of the most relevant topics in enterprise today, with many organisations still struggling to translate its truckloads of data into something communicable and effective. Andy Cotgreave, currently Tableau's Technical Evangelism Director, but previously a data analyst at Oxford University, is passionate about the power of visual analysis, but challenges are aplenty in this field. We asked Cotgreave about solutions, and he believes wholesale changes must be made around data literacy and our education systems. What we need is an understanding at that foundational level of what an effective way to communicate and analyze data is. And it's not 3D exploded pie charts with lots of fancy uh, fonts around it. So we need to change 
the education at that level. Now, the Royal Society has looked at the curriculum and assessed the UK curriculum, and it's it's not really very good. So I I would want to see a drive to uh, re-educate or educate kids right at that foundational level because what we find is every year there's a new cohort of graduates coming out of school and out of university and they've not been taught these fundamental skills. So organisations are wasting thousands and millions of pounds and euros and dollars training people up into what is essentially common sense and can be taught at an early time. We also have an opportunity to, we, we can at least change this at university, right? Uh, you know, academia is a great place to learn, obviously. Tableau, we have an academic program. Over a million students have registered for that and have got access to tools where they can play with data within the university. That's been a really successful program for us. And again, it doesn't matter if you're in science or art, data is everywhere and it will be in your job. So everybody will need to be data literate. That's what Cotgreave is saying there, Ron. Was was data literacy on the agenda when you were at school? You... No. No, no. I mean, it, obviously I'm a little bit older than, than everyone else. I mean, maths was barely on the agenda for, for me. Um, I, you know, I remember having, you know, a, there was a paucity of quality um, in my own personal education around some pretty basic stuff, let alone... Um, data literacy and all the things that might come along with that. So um, I've now got kids that are going through the school system and I don't see much happening in that in that sense. Um, do you think it should be happening? Do you think do you agree with, with Andy Cockgreave when he says that this is essential, these are essential skills? Yeah, absolutely. And the earlier the better. So, you know, these, these when, we're not talking about revolutionary kind of high concepts here from a mathematical point of view that we're not saying that you you need to change wholesale what it is you're you're actually teaching uh, kids to to look at and understand it's basically some uh, some essential basic principles that the earlier the that you embed that in in the curriculum the the better they're going to be able to carry that forward and um and contribute meaningfully in, in the workplace ultimately Personally, and this is completely anecdotal, obviously, I just see it from my own perspective. Um, there's none of that really happening as far as I'm aware yet. So he's absolutely spot on yeah. that that needs to change. There was a study recently where only a third of employees in the US said they were confident in their own data literacy skills. And, you know, this is people of, of working age. So obviously that's concerning. But as we've said there, Cotgreave said the skills should be quite easy to actually learn themselves. What, James, why do you think there is that gap? And what, why, why, does it, why has it been proven so hard to kind of visualise and communicate data? Why is, why is there still this sort of hurdle here? Um, <laughs> the quick answer is I don't know. Uh, I, can, I, can take a, I can take a guess, certainly. I mean, the, I think confidence is a big one. I recently spoke to um, somebody at, at CompTIA, which sort of does certifications, um, and courses in in quite closely aligned with this, both in the United States and the UK, right? And there's no doubt that there's a perception around data and wider IT skills. I think, and there's a, there's a perception that you have to be, you know, really clued in with maths or a science genius or or something like that, and have a you know a PhD in computer science. But actually, at maybe at the very very highest levels, you know, like if you want to be Anthony Scrifignano, you know, the next one of him. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, underneath that, when we're talking about some of the basic skills that you need, some and to be able to sort of glean useful insights from those, actually there are courses out there which anybody can go and do. 
Um, and I don't, I, I don't think either, whether in academia, and that's whether it's preschools or, or university, I don't think that at any level, actually, the skills that are needed in the workplace for these jobs is is being taught actually I don't and I certainly think that's true in this country and if the states is anything like that then then it will be true there I think that people really need to get a clue quite frankly and 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 teach um whether it's children or people on degree courses skills that are actually relevant in the, in the wider world yeah you you hear no end about the skills gap in data science for example and how we don't have enough data scientists but actually I've heard arguments where people in, in industry have said actually we we don't need a proliferation of data scientists we need a proliferation of employees who are skilled in using data at a basic level that will then help data become a more embedded part of an organization's sort of culture i mean that that kind of makes sense the argument doesn't it it isn't all about people of course businesses are now fortunate enough to have access to tools that perform many data related tasks for them Cockreave's own career in data began by him simply aggregating information from Microsoft Excel for his boss. Now he's heavily involved in the implementation of complex solutions for data management and visualization at Tableau. For him, being able to utilize data in real time is one of the most transformative changes brought about by such technology. That's one of the key things for me because so so ingrained in the history of business intelligence is this, we are going to build a chart or a dashboard and there you go, we've done our data visualization project. There's the dashboard, it's a monolith that stands on the browser and it never changes, right? And you're like, well, hang on, that dashboard is thus only answering the questions that we told it to answer six months ago, 12 months ago, right? Whereas that's not how businesses work. I've got new questions today that I didn't have last week and things change all this time, right? So having the tools that are available that enable this iteration, this exploration, answering questions you didn't anticipate. It's just, I've seen it, you know, I've seen it in my own work prior to joining Tableau and I've seen thousands of customers discover discover how, well, if you have tools that can respond very quickly to questions as they arise, it's just completely transformative for organizations. Now, Tableau is a, is a billion dollar company, so they're obviously having a lot of success in this in this particular area do you think uh, what Cockgreave is talking about there Rom you know these types of technologies where you're able to see data in real time and make decisions off the back of it that's kind of where everybody wants to get to isn't it yeah well that that is data literacy in a way which is to say what are the tools and the systems that we have as a company that enables our workforce to access the data in the first place because you can't be literate if you don't have it and I guess you could call it the democratization of data where you are developing systems that enable people to make much more granular decisions constantly on a real-time basis based on the data available to you, right? And that's uh, true whether in, in any industry that you're working in. Yeah, absolutely. Right, that's it, folks. Before we go, issue 13 of the Digital Bulletin magazine will be out at the end of January. And when it comes to podcasts, we have a goldmine of buzzword-busting fragmented reality episodes, including interviews with top people from the likes of Rackspace, VMware, and Cognizant. And Ahmed Hassan, actually, from Spark44, which has just been released. You can get in touch with us at podcast at digitalbullet.in. But lastly, thank you, James. Thank you very much. Been and a pleasure. Thank you, Romilly. No problem. And we will speak to you again soon, listener. Thank you for joining us. That was the Digital Bulletin Podcast, brought to you by Bulletin Media. 
listen and subscribe to a range of podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Log in to digitalbullets.in for news, features and case studies on the very latest in enterprise technology and digital transformation.